Hello and welcome to Books That Work, the best and most useful bits of business books. I'm Anna Hughes and my hope is that you'll find at least one thing from Books at Work to try or adopt at work to make work better. But to see the good and have that get the um, the most of our attention is really important. And when we can see the good, we could also add the good and we add good to our day. We're, sh- we're subconsciously telling ourselves that we're deserving of good in our lives. So our self-esteem and our self-worth climb and our, our productivity and happiness go through the roof. So there's this huge snowball effect. That's Dina Castor. She's an Olympic marathon runner and she's also author with Michelle Hamilton of the book Let Your Mind Run. It's a memoir of thinking your way to victory. Let me introduce you to Dina first. Dina runs. She's run into the record books in the US. She's a multiple national cross-country distance champion for the 5 and 10k distance. She's run in the LA, Sydney and Athens Olympics. She holds the US marathon record and she won bronze in the Olympic Games in the home of marathon, Athens, Greece. Let Your Mind Run takes us inside the mind of an elite and Olympic athlete. It's a story of achievement and for each and every one of us, a powerful example of how the small steps of cultivating a positive mindset can give us competitive advantage. The story and experiences that Dina shares are captivating and really descriptive. She makes it easy to visualise her highs and lows and even where she's running. Let Your Mind Run paints some really beautiful pictures of running. Starting from the joy and surprise of when Dina was a young girl and how simply and easily she just ran, soon beating girls older and more experienced than her right through to the uncertainty, doubt and injury at college. She was going to give up running to run a bakery. That all changed when Dina decided to give a guy called Coach Joe Vigil and his professional distance running team a try. Running on the hills of Alamosa in Colorado, she started to learn, build a better person, build a better athlete. Her running took her places, the World Cross Country Championships, training in Finland, training in Zurich, the Sydney Olympics. And one day when she was doing her 10K training, she decided to go for a slightly longer run. This was in the Santa Monica Mountains. After she did that, she decided to give the marathon a go, which would eventually become her event. And she went on to win the bronze Olympic medal in the home of Marathon in Athens. The title of this book is Let Your Mind Run, and really that's the key to it. Dina says that running had prepared her for the challenges that she faced in life and with running injury. By letting her mind run over the years, she opened up a whole new world and a whole new way of thinking. She learned to pay attention to goodness. She learned about resilience, about gratitude, about awe and optimism. And she learned about the difference a positive approach could make to her life, her energy and her running. She says happiness is a joy we feel striving for our potential. She also says that positive choice is the first step toward creating the outcome we desire. 
We're going to talk to Dina in just a moment. I like how she describes in the book this phrase. She learned how to replace negative reactions with positive ones and that infused her with energy and boosted her motivation. So let's hear more about how she did that and the difference it made and what we can learn from that. So today we're chatting to Dina Caster and so very excited about this. Um, as I've said in my summary, I love this book. People that I have lent it to love it too. So welcome Dina to New Zealand. Thank you, Anna. It's such a pleasure to connect with you. So we always start our Books at Work podcast with our question of where in the world are you and what's the view like out your window? Yes, I am calling from my home in Mammoth Lakes, California. It's central California and looking out the window into the pine trees on a breezy spring day. Um, but love to live here at altitude. It gives me a benefit as an athlete, but the simplicity of a mountain life seems to appeal to me anyway. So our town actually backs up to Yosemite National Park. So we're in a pretty beautiful part of the state as well as the country. And how's, how's your world been in the last year with COVID? Yeah, it, is, it has been a, um, an adjustment for our entire family. Um, my mom was diagnosed with cancer last year, uh, breast cancer, but she was able to detect it early and, and kick its butt. So it was hard not to be with family um, intimately during the time that she was battling um, her battle. My, uh, my daughter being homeschooled, that was a new hat I had to put on this past year. Um, so we, there was a lot of adjusting. Um, some health health things to to deal with but also some adjusting as our as our family lifestyle and not being able to meet with my teammates every morning because of the stay at home orders and then when that loosened up a little being able to be flexible with my homeschooling um, piper to be able to meet up with my teammates every now and then so my fitness isn't at its best but um, my mental fitness is always is always on point and always ready to go so for that i'm very grateful for what is a lifetime of practicing optimism that it's been there for me this year. So we want to get into the nitty gritty of some of your insights and inspiration from the book. And there's a line in the book that I really liked, which was build a better person, build a better athlete. Tell, tell us about that. What, what does that mean for you? Yeah, you know, I think every day is an absolute privilege to, to really um, act out the character that we want, whether our day goes smoothly and predictable, which seems like almost never, or whether it's laden with challenges and interruptions, which seems more the, the truth these days, that we have the, the privilege to exercise the character that we want to be. And that's a great privilege that all of us have. We might have a habit of overreacting or, um, or acting out in a way that's a little more unbecoming than we would like, but that is our choice every day. So I really think that our life as whether we're an athlete or pursuing a career in a different way, that our absolute privilege is making those micro decisions, those little choices every day that add up to who we are. And those choices really, um, really end up forming habits 
of who we are and they're um and and so i take i take them very i take them as a big responsibility but also one of my greatest privileges so our choices are so important as small as they may be because they add up to a bigger picture as as a young child at 11 years old i never would have imagined i would be an olympic medalist an american record holder for for 19 years or a new york times best selling author but the little choices i made along the way and the team i've put around me um People that I believe in and that are experts in their own field have really allowed um, me to thrive in um, in any way that I've choose to strive. Do you recall when you learned that and what it felt like? It was definitely the moment I became a professional athlete and was under the tutelage of Joe V. Hill, Coach Joe V. Hill. Um, I had operated off of talents for, for all of those years prior. And it wasn't until being in his hands under his instruction um, as an athlete that I really built a better person within me. He let me know that he could create this training program for me, but but every, um, every choice I made in that day was up to me, whether I got a good night's sleep, whether I was eating healthy foods, whether I was that cheerleader for myself and for my teammates, bringing encouragement to the table, that that was all up to me. And, um, and so he taught me that at a very, at, at the very beginning that I was, I was the driver of, of this path and, um, and that he would help me get there. But ultimately it was up to me and my decisions that I was making. So luckily I was in good hands from the very beginning of my professional career because I, I really opened myself up to learning from him. Um, even though I was in the sport for many years, I came to him a blank slate, ready to learn what he had to offer because he was so wise, not just in the athletes that he, is, that he had built up before me, but, um, but in his education. And it was really admirable to me that this man that had spent a lifetime in education of and and educating himself in physiology and coaching and how athletes reacted to different types of, of training stresses, how he could spend a lifetime learning that and then in a split second would share it with anybody at the table. So really admirable um, trait to have and it actually helped create my life purpose, um, which he asked me in my very first meeting with him, what is your philosophy? And I was like, oh my gosh, I just came here to run. I have no idea what you're talking about. But over the years I saw and really created my own philosophy through his direction um, because he practiced this on a daily basis that everything he had, whether it was time, money, knowledge, food on the table, it really increased the moment he shared it with others. So it helped create my life purpose. If I have it, share it. It was the, the reason why I wrote this book, the reason why we're talking today, because if you believe Believe wholeheartedly in some of the the truths that a sport or life experience has taught you that when you can share it with others, they don't have to go through that troubleshooting. Um, you could share that with them and empower them to um, to open up the the power of their own potential through through your expertise. So it's been a a great privilege to walk that journey. But he's certainly the person that taught it to me in 1996 when I first <laughs> became a professional runner. So what is the thing? What is the philosophy? What is that? Yeah, I think it's just more than a goal. In my mind, a goal could be to run a personal best, but your purpose and philosophy behind it is the real driver when you wake up in the morning and really don't want to jump in your running shoes. When you get into the the the, the crux of the race and it starts to hurt, you know, it, you can backpedal on your goals. But when a purpose is so 
um, deeply ingrained in you, it's hard to backpedal on that. And so if your purpose is bigger than that goal, your, your purpose for your career, your purpose for your striving to get that personal best, your purpose is much deeper. And I, I, I encourage people to get to their purpose by continuing to ask why. I want to run a personal best. Well, why do you want to run a personal best? Well, I want to get the best out of myself. Why get the best out of yourself? Well, I want to be a good role model for my family or for the, or for the younger generation generation of athletes coming up behind me. And if you keep asking why, I tend to think that as soon as I get that qu- that emotional quiver in my voice, I found the right answer. Since since you wrote the book and you're still running, do you do you work with people to help them work out what their philosophy or their purpose is or 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 is that something that you just live by? Yeah, I live by it. You have to walk the walk, right? <laughs> so, I definitely live by that by that that creed, but also my number one student is my daughter. She's 10 years old and I want to teach her to live a purposeful life and and to make things meaningful to her and to see silver linings, not be dismissive of hard feelings, but to understand them so that we can learn from them or grow from them, have them as springboards for our growth. But I also, um, I work with our teammates, our Mammoth Track Club team. My husband is the coach, but I consider myself one of their mentors when we're running side by side and I hear a a negative remark about the hill coming up and I'll say, well, don't let this hill beat you before you're on it. It's like, know that you're getting stronger every time you do this thing. And so just trying to trying to shift their thoughts to serve them better um, has been really fun to work with as they as they try to make Olympic teams themselves and run their own personal best. Um, And then um, in this past year, I've been working with Airbnb, uh, their their business model for vacation rentals obviously got flipped on its head last year with the pandemic. And so um, they came to me and said they were starting virtual experiences and really thought people could benefit from an hour of optimism. So I said yes immediately because it fit into my life purpose of sharing what I have. And then I had to figure out how to do it. But that's been um, allowing me to stay purpose driven in what was a very strange year and is continuing to be a little strange and we we have to continue to be flexible with our schedules and what we what we envision for our futures but it's definitely kept me motivated and um, and allowed optimism to stay at the forefront of my mind because i share it every day with people from across the globe whether corporate events or individuals wanting wanting or needing a little more optimism in their lives in, in the book, you talk about gratitude and goodness. And I was really struck by this because you were talking about it quite a long time ago before gratitude and gratitude journals became a thing. So um was really keen to explore that a bit more. And you talk about scanning the world for goodness and how it um, helped you channel new energy. So just keen to understand what that was like and how it influenced you and your world when you you started to do that. Yeah, gratitude is one of my favorite traits. I have my gratitude journal sitting right here. I have one on my nightstand and one next to my computer. Um, So I, Cicero, the ancient Roman philosopher, I was really struck years ago when I was reading about him and him saying that gratitude was not only the greatest virtue, but the parent of all others. And really going on in his teachings, his lengthy teachings to say that only by being able to scan the world and see the good in it, could you possibly practice the good 
good or be the good or share the good with others, which is my life purpose. So I better see the good in the, <laughs> in the world if I'm going to share it with others. But also I read in a brain science journal that our minds are not capable of multitasking. So if we're looking for good in our world, we can't also be frustrated with all those little low level hums of um, irritation and frustration. So it really is putting your mind in a better focus, not being dismissive of, of things, because if there's something we need to fix in our lives, then we should be fixing it. But to see the good and have that get the, um, the most of our attention is really important. And when we can see the good, we could also add the good and we add good to our day. We're, we're subconsciously telling ourselves that we're deserving of good in our lives. So our self-esteem and our self-worth climb and our, our productivity and happiness go through the roof. So there's this huge snowball effect to gratitude. And it's, and it's really important to, um, to make sure that that we're that our our headlines in our minds aren't always nagging and complaining about about things gone wrong or out things that are out of our control. And when we first start gratitude, I think the most important um, rule in keeping a gratitude list is every time. So I write down three things that I'm grateful for every single day, and and. Each time I write down three items, it has to be unique. And that's a really important rule to keeping a gratitude list because listen, I could, I have a, a great job, a wonderful family, and I'm and I'm healthy. That's a lot to be grateful for. But those are pretty broad, pretty broad items. If I just wake up to be grateful for those three things every day, I don't get that histochemical effect, those endorphins flooding my body. But if I could say, wow, I am so grateful that the hospital I was just at yesterday while my daughter got a cast on her broken leg, they had pink casts available and that made all the difference. So I am grateful for colorful casts so that my daughter could have that silver lining in a, in a, in her ski accident this weekend. So, so, so finding the good in things is really important. And, um, and the more specific we can be and the more unique we could be each day, it forces us to scan our world, to see more good in it, but also the more specific allows it to have a greater impact, a greater release of endorphins into our body. So gratitude is an amazing practice and it's really the gateway to seeing any other good virtue. Cicero said it, it is, it is the gateway to any, to any good virtue. I consider it the starting line to just scrolling through your life and, and, and acquiring more good in it. And when we can have more good in our lives, it allows us to share more good. So um, gratitude is such an important part of my day, um, but it's certainly a practice and a trait that would benefit any single person practicing it, no matter what your striving is. I can feel your energy. Like it's so, you love this and I, I can feel it. So love that. And um, that thing about, you know, your, your three things that you're grateful for, it's really helpful to have that example of the pink cast um, because, you know, you hear that, you know, writing a gratitude list is beneficial. And I personally find it quite hard to think of three things each day. They just end up being the same thing. So have you got any other tips around that, around how to, that practicality of um, finding the things that you're grateful for? Yeah, um, I I think it really, the, the greatest tip is just emphasizing unique things every day. Because if, if, 
if gratitude's not meant to be mundane, it's meant to just be this ongoing thing. And there are some days where it feels hard to think of three things because the day has been so challenging. But last week on my gratitude list was my new fabric softener because my clothes actually smelled good again. I went from being lavender for so many years to finally switching up to this this, um, this some type of citrus blossom. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I do a lot of laundry. I should be able to smell the rewards from it. And it just had, had that, like that's that low scent was just that refrain through the day, which was so nice. Cause the day was, was not a great one, but I could still smell how beautiful my clothes were. And that's where, that's where a lot of my focus was as I was trying to fix and get back on schedule. I still had that great smell on my clothes. So it really, it really is such an important practice from condensation on a glass, which means I'm in a more humid environment, which means I'm going to lose a wrinkle in a day or two. <laughs> it's like these little, these little things that are, are amusing and fun. And there's really no boundaries to gratitude. It can, some, it can be something as big as, as meeting the love of your life or as small as, as seeing a little, a little handprint from your daughter on the, on the windowsill. So it could be, it could be big and small things, but the point is that the acknowledgement of them is putting your heart in the right place. I was taken by the near the end of the book, you talk about 25 years of running, you talk about 25 years of running and the things that you've learned. And there was stuff in there about paying attention to goodness, resilience, gratitude, which we've talked about, awe and optimism. Yeah, is, there, is that, that thing of awe, what, what do you mean by that? Um, and, and the resilience piece, is there anything that you'd like to share with us about those things? I think um, in the later stages of my career, when I was really searching for just a little bit more, you know, it's just inching forward that that micro micro millimeter that if added with all the steps you're doing will will help in um, will help in reaching your goals and really realizing that inspiration is all around us. It's whether we choose to seek it or not. And it could be in talking with a friend, it could be in our surroundings, our environment, the um, nature and being able to hear it. And it's actually one of the reasons I don't run with, with headphones on because I like to take that all in, the sounds and the smells. And I don't want that to pass me by. I don't want any of those, um, any of those bits of inspiration to pass me by when I have the opportunity in the miles I'm lost to take it in and use it, but also throw out some gratitude and appreciation to, to feed, to feed the things around me. So I think realizing that inspiration is everywhere. Irritation also is, but I choose to look at the, the things that are going to inspire, empower me, not the things that are gonna, going to going to drag me down. So that's been really important. And I think my most important lesson in resiliency came pretty early on in my career, but I had to continue practicing in it in order to be good at it. And it came from my first national championship when I was towing the line feeling, um, feeling uh, true confidence for the first time in my life. It was my first national championship as a professional runner. I had been living and training under Coach Vigil for five months and was really in awe again at how strong I had gotten physically and, and mentally. But the gun fired and I went from confident to crushed in the span of 30 seconds. And I just remember like trying to catch the girl in front of me and trying with every strong step of my stride to catch her and only to be passed 
passed by seven women at the same time. Well, when I finally got to that finish line, my goal was to get in the top five and make my first US team. And I was 37th place. I got back to my hotel room and I cried my eyes out. And I remember my parents coming to the door and telling me I should be proud of myself, but pride just didn't feel right. It didn't have a right fit in that moment. And although they were very well-intended and then coach Vigil came to the door and said he was glad that I was disappointed because it showed him that I cared and I was invested. And I was so dumbfounded by that because disappointment had always meant I failed and that I was a failure. And I would ride that disappointment until some small wind told me I was temporarily good enough. But for it to mean that I care and I'm invested, I do care, I am invested. And it was so, it was really my first lesson in resiliency that a lot of times when we're stuck with hard emotions, which sometimes we don't have control over how we react in to a certain situation that, disappointment doesn't have to be the definition that fits the page of a dictionary. It needs to fit my life actually. And so I've had to do that a lot in my life. I've feeling of grief, feeling of loneliness, that maybe, you know, the grief is rooted in love and not loss. And it didn't bring me my dog back, but it allowed me to open my heart up and love that next rescue dog. And loneliness doesn't need to be isolation. It could just be coming up in my life to let me know how much I value relationships and having people at the dining room table. So really important that we can be grateful and we could we could practice all these things, but sometimes some hard emotions rear up and we just have to define them in ways that empower us, give us our power back. And so that lesson was my first in resiliency, but I had to practice it a lot in order to continue to be resilient and to have the habit of resiliency years later. I feel so privileged, Dina, that we've had this conversation and we're sharing it with the community, just seeing you and Feeling your energy and your emotion is just really lovely. I'm so, so grateful that we've had this conversation. So thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you. It was Bye. fun. Bye, Anna. Here's the Let Your Mind Run. Take five and 60 seconds. And remember, these are on the website, booksatwork.co.nz. One, scan the world for goodness. Two, Work at replacing negative reactions with positive ones because that creates energy. Three, pick three unique things each day to be grateful for. Keep it simple and small, but keep it unique. Four, see silver linings. Learn and grow from those hard feelings and hard emotions. And five, build a better person. And in Dina's case, build a better athlete. But there's something there for all of us to learn. Build a better person, build a better life and a better way of doing things. That's our Books at Work Let Your Mind Run episode done and dusted. Please let me know what you think. Check us out on our website, booksatwork.co.nz and follow us on Instagram, Books That Work. I'm Anna Hughes and that's Books That Work, Making Work Better. <laughs>